0: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zultzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co host Mary Catherine Carmichael. The grocery store chain Meijer has won an appeal cutting an Indianapolis store's 2012 assessed value of $19.7 million by nearly two thirds. And the Indiana Board of Tax Review ruled in August that a Bloomington CVS store had been overassessed for five years, which could lead to a $150,000 refund to the company. Marion County's appealing the Meyer decision in the Indiana Tax Court, and Indiana legislators changed the law this year, hoping to restrict the appeals that lead to these tax cuts, but some say that that isn't enough. Today on In addition, we're gonna talk about Uh, some of these issues about the big box tax cuts uh, with leaders and experts who have been involved in both sides of the issue. So our guest today, Judy Sharp, the Monroe County Assessor, is here in the studio. So is Benjamin A. Blair, an associate for Fagreed Baker Daniels, a law firm that uh, represented Meyer. And David Botorf is here. He's executive director of the Association of Indiana Counties. If you want to join the show you can uh, give us a call at 855-0811 in bloomington that's 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the local area you can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon and you can even follow us on twitter at noon Edition. so Mary Catherine, this is a, a good show. We've been talking about this issue, and yeah. we're really excited to have our three guests in here in the studio with us. So I'm going to ask Ben first um, as a, an attorney who's representing Meyer, your, your firm represents Meyer, what's your thinking about uh, why these taxes have been overpaid?
1: Well, without talking about the specifics of any particular case, really this issue goes back to kind of the fundamental question of property tax in Indiana, which is what is it that we're valuing? The property tax, as the name sort of suggests, is a tax on the value of real property. We're not trying to value personal property, intangible property, business value. Those are captured by other things, but the property tax is really on real property. The other fundamental thing is, what exactly are we valuing when we say we're valuing real property? That's very ethereal, and w- trying to avoid legalese, what we're trying to value is the entire bundle of rights that make up property ownership. So, it's a term called fee simple. In in str- in straightforward terms, what that means is that if I own a property, in if I own the whole <coughs> bundle of rights, I can lease it to someone. I can occupy it and go move my business from there, Uh, I can demolish it. I can do anything subject to the powers of government, any legal use I can put it to. The question in these cases and what taxpayers across the board have been saying is that when we're looking at trying to value the real property only of, of any property, whether it's a big box store or any other type of property. What we're trying to get at is we wanna find evidence of what that particular value is, not the value of the business that's going on in it because that's taxed by the income tax, not the value of sort of the transactions that are going on a daily basis because that's the sales tax. What we're asking is what are the sticks and bricks and land of this building worth?
2: Uh, Now, I know many years ago, Indiana restructured their inventory tax laws. Does, Does any of that play into your arguments in this?
1: No, it's really, they're, they're entirely separate taxes. The The property tax code, there was a fairly significant change a decade and a half or so ago as a result of many many years of litigation uh, that the supreme court of indiana came down and said look we have a constitutional restriction in indiana that says that property tax has to be assessed uniformly and equally and that means that we have to look at objective market data and really that's what all the cases since then have been about it's been really looking at what does objective market data tell us about the value of property
0: All right. So Judy Sharp, the assessor of Monroe County, I don't think you agreed necessarily with that interpretation.
3: Respectfully, no. (laughs) Um, I understand what Benjamin was was talking about, and these are the arguments that all of the assessors are hearing throughout the state. Let me quickly try to quickly put in perspective of how we assess. Benjamin's right, in 1999, the Supreme Court ruled that Indiana had to be a market value in use state. That is the term, market value in use, not market value in exchange. That's not, and market value in exchange would be highest and best use, but market value in use is whatever that um, property is being used for today is how we have to assess it. So let's talk about the big boxes, all of these large. I think this is where some of the some of the things i think has gotten kind of skewed i am not i am not assessing business enterprise at all i am actually only assessing the sticks and the bricks and the mortar and the land we have a cost schedule that the uh, that the dlgf issues and all I do is go out and I sketch that building and I go to a table and X amount of square feet is worth this, X amount of plumbing fixtures, all of that good stuff. And that's how I get the base, the the bottom line value of that building. Then you add the land on and land is based on sales. So whatever that land sold for or they bought it for is where I'm supposed to be on that. Um, and... Two thousand and twelve, I believe, the state of Indiana changed the cost tables. They hadn't changed them for a while. Now they are they're trying to start to update them annually, but they weren't for a long time. So in 2012 they, they changed the cost tables. So what I did and what most assessors did Unlike on residential property where you have a, a neighborhood factor, a market adjustment factor based on where you live, they don't do that on commercial. So here in Monroe County, as well as probably most of the, the counties, we we created a, our own market factor uh, that to just leave because the new cost tables actually lowered the value of of the commercial property here in Monroe County based on our location multiplier that the state gives us and the depreciation tables. But these these places aren't seen, as far as the assessing community goes, a decrease in value. So we, we apply this factor just to keep those values where they are. So if you would look at my values on on most of these properties, I don't have them all in front of me, so I'd be very careful, but I would think most of them, they're going to see just an even trend of of not going up too much, not going down at all, because you're not seeing them going down. And I can assure you, our land in Monroe County does not go down. It goes up every five seconds, I think. <laughs> it's hard to even stay on top of that. <clears throat> um, so that's how we we do it. So our argument, when we get to the appeals, has been, you bring these, the, I have to get an appraisal now to defend my assessments, mm-hmm. because the other side has an appraisal. and what happens then is you're, we're not the assessing community do not, does not think that we're comparing apples to apples, uh, and that's what the big box the big box, okay the big box uh, theory is all about. Um, these appraisals on the other side are comparing a a store that is being used as a Lowe's or a Target or a Kmart to something that's closed and I don't think there's an assessor in the world that would disagree if that business would go out of business that that market is not there that was on it it would be less and uh but as as long as it's as it's being used as it was built for I'm going to continue pricing it as such and not as an empty box
0: Okay, so David Botthorff is here from the uh, executive. He's the executive director of the Association of Indian Counties. So we've heard, you know, both, sort of both sides of the argument for how property is going is being assessed or is going to be taxed. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of people don't spend as much time as as Ben or Judy thinking about taxation and assessment <laughs> and all these <laughs> things. But what's the real impact? I mean, why should people care about this issue?
4: Well. Uh both Judy and Ben kind of touched on this, that this has been a long-term process to get to where we are in the property tax assessment system. And uh, when the uh, St. John's case went through and the Supreme Court said um, what are the way we're doing it now, replacement cost is not fair, not constitutional. And so they had to create a new system. All the General Assembly did was say uh, all we know is true tax value is not market value. It's whatever DLGF says it is, Department of Local Government Finance. So they wrote a manual and um, used the term uh, market value and use, and they could have gone to pure market value and exchange. There's probably a couple other options out there, but um, I think the policy decision was made uh, at that time that if we use market value and use, that would limit the property tax shift from special purpose properties, a lot of businesses, over to homeowners. And so that was the uh, methodology that was chosen was market value and use. And there's been a few tax court decisions that really we think straight away from the pure market value and use standard that uh, we've, we feel like is in the, in the manual and said, well, really, market value and use is sort of market value and exchange. Um,
0: could you ex- just explain that a little sure. bit just, you know, to the, to the, sure, you know, the yeah. novice like
4: me? Market, market value and use, again, there's lots of definitions out there for it. You could find different ones on the Internet um, th- throughout uh, USPAP appraisals probably and, and uh, other uh, real estate guidelines or magazines or definitions. But market value and use means the value that the user of the property um, is using it probably for its highest and best use. Um, and so it may be more valuable to the current owner than it would be for a subsequent owner. And that's really the, the battle here on how you value this. So do you value it on what somebody built it for, for their specific use, or do you value it on what somebody else might pay for it? And that somebody else may not use it for the same purpose as the original buyer. And so that's really the crux of how we get to the assessment, is it we're gonna use the cost approach when it's still first-generation owner or we let the first-generation owner say, if I sold this building because it's so, you know, especially these types of properties, is a very limited <laughs> market. Nobody's going to – no other national chain is going to buy this store a lot of times because they don't want to sell to another national chain. They'll actually put deed restrictions on there that say, you know, whoever buys this can't have a pharmacy. They can't be in retail or something like that. So that limits the property. Which drives down the cost, of course, and so, you know, getting to use those types of comps to use as your potential sales for your current building, we think is where the we fall off from market value and use, what I built for it, what I paid for it for my particular use. So what a secondary buyer might use
0: it for. So, uh, as I understand it, with the in the Meyer case, I mean one of the comps that was used in Meyer was the empty Walmart store that was here in Bloomington. So, which
2: is now being used. which is now being
0: used, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So, Benjamin, just you know, you've heard you know that that sort of point of view. So, how do you what's your reaction to that? The the market value in use versus the market value in exchange.
1: Sure. I think that's actually, you know, that's the key distinction. So Indiana put in place a market value in use system, and that's an unusual phrase because it combines market value, Mm -hmm. which has a meaning, typically market value in exchange, as well as looking at the particular user or that use type. And really, it it was actually designed to be a taxpayer-friendly system. So if you own a farm and you are abutting a commercial development, In a purely market value system, you would be taxed at the highest and best use of your land, which would not be farm value. Typically, it would be, let's build it into something that's higher and better use. Um, So we put in a system that the distinction between uh, market value and use and market value is that we're going to assume, for the purposes of developing this value, that the current use, what is the market value of that use? So rather than saying, what's the highest and best use of this property, if its current use, whether its current use be agricultural land, whether its current use be a retail development, whatever its current use is, what's the market value of that use? And so to develop a market value, though, if you, I mean, parse that phrase, it implicitly says we have to look at the market now the market for homes is is one where there are a lot of transactions on a regular basis and so oftentimes the value of homes the market value is the market value in use but certainly for many types of property in fact any situation where the property is being used for its highest and best use as that term plainly means it means that what they're transacting for in the market is the value of that property whether it's market value in use or market value in exchange they're the same if those uses are the same if the current use is its highest and best use i know that's that's a really technical point but the key there is that we have to then look what what the courts have said is look at what the court the what the market is actually doing so when properties transact in the market sometimes they transact at the cost that took to build them, but sometimes they don't. The market will usually reflect depreciation or obsolescence or a lot of other things, the income-generating potential of the property. Um, and so there's really a lot of moving pieces here, but the, but the catch is that it's not the value to the particular user, because if you are valuing this, this property as solely just the name brand on the box, then you're implicitly valuing the business within it. So, the the clearest example is imagine two properties right next to each other, two big box stores right next to each other, identical in every way, built the same time, same floor plan, everything is perfect. One of them is a name brand retailer, and the other is a a second generation user. In every way, the properties are identical, and their uses are both retail uses. It's just that one is a name brand retailer and one is a non-name brand retailer. The value of those properties, should for property tax purposes should be identical, right? Because the value of the property, they're identical properties in every way. Now the individual user in the property may be getting different value out of it. But the value of the sticks and bricks of the building, that would be identical because they're identical properties.
0: Okay. We, it, it's a it's a complicated issue, but we're going to get to the bottom of it uh, here. You're listening to Noon Edition. We're talking about this issue of, of property taxes on big box stores, and there have been a couple of recent um, tax board rulings that uh, have... Uh, tax review board rulings that have have really um, made this uh, a significant issue we have a, a well let me give our, our numbers again 812 <clears> 811 here in Bloomington and one 877 outside of the Bloomington area and you can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition and you can follow us on twitter at noon edition and I think the uh, the questioner yeah. Mary Catherine, yeah, it, I think it sort this of gets a, to the crux of it. Yeah, so. it's an
2: issue that is really striking fear in the hearts of uh, other taxpayers. Be, in, in this, I think this uh, question from Twitter reflects that. It says, uh, hearing the big box position, which government services are they willing to give up with such a tax cut? Police, fire, EMS? Is well, that your concern, Judy, that, you know, it's an either-or thing?
3: I think... I think the the person on Twitter kind of put it in a nutshell, but that isn't the only thing. My concern is where does this stop? Uh, once once this is um, once this starts, there's no stopping it. And um, why not? There's a fixed number of box stores in any doesn't community. Doesn't matter. What if what? Let's just use that same argument. Mary Catherine, you just told me that your one of your children is now at IU. Mm-hmm. You probably have an empty bedroom. Not exactly. No. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, you're, you're, Still. maybe you're hoping you will. <laughs> but I've already, you know, uh, when I'm on the street and people see me, they come up and, and I know they're kidding to a point, but I think they do have a point. They said, "Well, I'm just going to appeal my property because it's now I'm not using." Part of my home. I'm not using mm-hmm. two bedrooms, mm-hmm. and I laugh and said, "No, no, you can't do that." But, but where <laughs> does? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you can't do that. Don't do that. No, no, really. <laughs> Please, no, no, really, you, you can't really do that. Can't do that. But that's exactly where this is heading. Because, I let's just take the uh, houses out of it. What's going to stop? the banks which we've already got a couple of appeals throughout the state saying hey if i go out of business and we've seen that right here in monroe Mm -hmm. county some of our big banks Mm -hmm. that built these great big places are now empty well i can assure you when they appeal i'm going to take that in consideration it's now empty but if it was you know i'll put depreciation on it but when it was there i didn't have depreciation when it was the bank Um, also we're also seeing uh restaurants throughout the um throughout the state now are are using that same argument that if we go out of business hey it's not worth what you've got on it you know there's an assessor out there that would disagree that it will not be worth what we have on it when it is empty but right now it is not empty and that's that's where why we're going to have to have legislation to finally put this to rest because Benjamin and the other attorneys on the other side and the assessors and the whole assessing of um, um, industry profession will never agree on this. This is this just goes totally against everything that we we do. We're not going to agree to that. I'm the first to agree that if there's a problem with the with the property, yes we can look at those issues. Lowe's never appealed until last year. The same or assessment has been on it for a lot of years. There's no problem there. Um, I don't think there's a problem with any of them. Um, but with that being said, our legislators have got to finally put this to rest. And the, the answer to this, and, and Benjamin uh, actually used the term first-generational. In other words, if you built it, you're in it, and it's being used as it was built then cost approach, just like what I'm doing right now, you mm-hmm. can't use the dark box sales. That's all we're saying, and let's go from there. That's a pretty easy fix.
2: Mm-hmm. So I assume, do you think this will be something taken up in the upcoming legislature? Yes, it will be. Okay. So what if you allow, I mean, is, is, is another thought about this, and I'm sure people Baker Baker Daniels are just thinking about this all the time. Um, is is that to say, okay, go ahead and and let's just value them all at empty or you know empty big box prices? But then the money we still have, as as our uh, Twitter person mentioned, we still have police, fire, EMS, and all the other public services.
3: Doesn't that just lead to a bigger overhaul of how we collect taxes? Yes, ma'am. What it will do, it shifts. It's the burden mm-hmm. shift, and that's what David alluded to, and that's what. I'm really afraid of because um, with everything that the legislators have done to the property tax system since I've been an assessor, which you guys know has been, you know, 100 years, um, the um, we started back in the 70s under Doc Bowen with the levy freeze, which was supposed to be the uh, end all of everything. You had the levy freeze, then you had, then last year or a couple years ago, whenever, they decided that we would pull out these caps of 1%, 2 and 3% that had no relation to anything, but let's cap it and let's put it in the constitutional. Oh, Lord. So we did that. So now you have a levy freeze, you have the property tax caps, and now we have these appeals that when these things, this is big dollars. Uh, I think I saw um, a article yesterday or this week that Marion County is looking at 10 billion, with a B, dollars in lost AV, or I don't know if it was AV, David, or if it's it's S, yeah, it's assessed value, value, um, for what they've got on appeal on these big boxes. What that does is push it down to everybody else and including other businesses, because what happens is, as assessed valuation goes down, tax rate goes up. But then you hit your caps because you can only you can only pay so much the one or two or three percent. So what you'll have are more and more counties hitting their tax caps, and then you will see that's when you will see the services being cut. Monroe County has very low. Um, tax rate right now we always have we have high assessed valuations we're not really there are tax caps but not a lot but this will push us into it much quicker Mm
1: -hmm. i'd like to respond to that because i personally am very sympathetic to the situation counties are in Uh, undoubtedly there are budgetary pressures and the change to the constitution is just the most recent of all of them so I don't know what the answer to that is. Uh, I'm not an elected official in, in county. But what I do know is that the answer isn't to arbitrarily assess some properties at more than their market value and use so that we can inflate county coffers. Should we treat certain types of property owners differently so that they're taxed on more than the value, the value of their property, more than their property's worth? I I think our constitution says no, and I think the Indiana Tax Court and the Indiana Board of Tax Review agree with my position. It's it's clear that the answer to budgetary concerns isn't to say here are some taxpayers that we can raise the taxes on. There have to be fundamental questions about how we do that. But to target one type of taxpayer, a, a taxpayer that just Oftentimes, is an out-of-state, but out we of
2: target one kind of taxpayer all the time. I mean, we do it with, with income tax. Different income levels are taxed at different level, at different percentages. Our country has a long history of that.
1: Sure, and, and in Indiana, actually, the, the income tax is imposed at the same level for all levels of income, but property taxes actually are imposed at different rates. As uh, Assessor Sharp just noted, that the constitutional caps for homeowners are is, is a 1% cap, but for commercial properties it's 3% cap. So in, in situations where the tax rate is up to maximum or up to being uh, above that cap, Commercial taxpayers are already paying a three times higher tax rate on their assessed value than homeowners. And and that's what the voters of Indiana have said. But that doesn't mean that the underlying assessment shouldn't be fairly valued as every other taxpayer is entitled to under the Constitution. Let's go to David before we have to take a break. Sure, and we've strayed a
4: little bit away from the assessment (coughs) methodology and some Mm -hmm. tax policy. And really, for the assessors, it is is about making sure we get the right assessment. this type of methodology, though, can really lead to extreme situations, and one would be like the Meyer store on 96th Street in Indianapolis. I talked to the uh, assessor after that decision came down and uh, told him to calculate it uh, a slightly different way than they had been, but the assessment was so low that it act- the building, the Meyer building, actually had a negative influence on the land. So this type of methodology leads to very extreme assessment reductions. And uh, that's a problem. And and these stores move to these communities because they're great communities, right? They they do traffic studies. They know how much income people make in the community. They know if I put a store here, um, this is how much business is going to come in. And so they know what they're doing when they come to these communities. They kind of know what the tax base is. And um, we just think that, uh, as Judy said, this is going to spread because it's almost become like a tax deduction. So who wouldn't mm-hmm. use this methodology right. if they had the opportunity to? Well, right. Let
0: me see if I make sure I understand that. So what you're saying is that Meyer, that, that particular store, without the structure on the, the land, the land would have been worth more.
3: Would, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I can make it easier for okay. you, Bob. Yeah. Best Buy is under appeal here in Monroe County. Mm-hmm. If Best Buy's would get what they would want, I would have to take my Best Buy totally down to zero and take my land down. And they would be, they're asking for less money on that building, or that whole property, than it costs to buy the land to start with. Mm -hmm. And that land has not gone down, because I have a sale just uh, a couple of weeks ago, right behind it, do you know where Best Buy is? Mm -hmm a um, little, little strip right behind it just sold for over $600,000. Mm-hmm. That shows you that the value is not going down, but that's what's happening. We're going to have to take – we're going to have to have a negative. We'll, we'll see a negative is what they want on this, and it's not going to happen.
0: Okay, so we're talking about uh, these issues of taxation and assessment and the big box stores and how the tax review uh, – of India Board of Tax Review has ruled – recently which is in favor of the big box stores and what they they want um, you're listening to noon edition and we've got two phone callers and another question on twitter we're starting to get uh, get this conversation going but we're going to take a short break now we'll be right back okay. Okay, welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from The Herald Times along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. We're starting to, the, the topic's starting to heat up here today. We're talking about um, the, uh, so the grocery store chain Meyer has won an appeal cutting the, their Indianapolis store and, and Indianapolis stores 2012 assessed value of $19.7 million by nearly two-thirds. Uh, we're seeing that happen here in Monroe County. Uh, a, a, Board of Tax Review ruled in August that a Bloomington CVS store, the one that's on just north of town, right, on 5th, 14th, 14th Street. Street, has been over-assessed for five years, which could lead to a $150,000 refund to the company. Uh, this is not just a, a Bloomington or Indianapolis issue. It's not just an Indiana issue. It's an issue all across the country, and we're starting to get into the, the depths of this issue with our three guests today, Judy Sharp, the Monroe County Assessor, Benjamin A. Blair, who's an associate for Fagree Baker Daniels, and David Botorf, the executive director of the Association of Indiana Counties. If you have a question or a comment, please uh, give us a call at 812 811 in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area, and also you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. We've had two phone callers who have been very patient. We'll go to Mike first. Mike is in Bloomington.
6: Hi. Hi. Um this is a very intricate uh, topic, and I, I've got three points. However, I could have practically 16 points. Nonetheless, <laughs> the first point is I assume it's, a, it, it's an issue of standalone versus strip building. I haven't determined that, a, let's say, a, a property vacant in a strip mall, they want to tear their thing down and uh, redo differently. Is that correct? And I assume it is. So okay. nonetheless, let me go on to point. Okay, seven. okay. go ahead. Their, their purpose was to overwhelm in their megastore concept, and they, uh, their purpose was stated as, as, as such. They should have a cost of business um, associated with real estate taxes as such within their concept. And thirdly, why do we have real estate taxes in the first place? It's to pay for certain things. If they wish to take, uh, let's say, 16 acres out of the the city uh, acreage, and whereas to begin with, we could replace that with 160 real estate uh, uh, properties, residential, for instance, they should be willing, within the construct of their business plan, to pay for this additional acreage it needs in order for them to fulfill their business plan. Three points, but
0: like I said, we could have 16, 17. All right, all points, right Mike. So I'll put it back to you. Okay. Thanks a lot, Mike. Anybody have a reaction? Uh-huh. Ben?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. I should start off by saying that for the vast majority of property owners, the number one expense of a, owning a property after debt service, after paying the mortgage, is, in fact, property taxes. It's one of the most... Uh, it's one of the highest levels uh, in the expense statement. The question isn't, though, how are we going to assess uh, a big box store or any other taxpayer uh, to, in a way that is designed to increase taxes for that purpose? The question is, how do we get the value of the store right? Uh, we've heard a lot today and, and certainly over the last 12 months about the notion that these properties are getting valued as if vacant. And I, and I want to clarify that, that, that really what's going on there is that at, at the beginning of the hour, I talked about how we're looking at the entire bundle of rights, what, what is actually being transacted in sales. And the way we determine that is we look for other sales in the market. What we know is that some sales don't give us the entire bundle of rights, but some do. The way that this particular market operates, the market for big box stores and many other types of property, is that the existing owner or user of the property will vacate the property before making it tenant ready, before it is ready to have a a new tenant in it or a new owner in it. That's the reflection of the market. And because in Indiana, we have a market value and use standard that says, That when a property is being used for its highest and best use, it should be market value and use is its market value. If we see 10 stores that have all sold for a particular dollar value per square foot, that's a pretty good indication of value of what that type of property is worth.
0: All right. We have another uh, caller. We'll go to the caller first before we've got an email, also a a tweet, actually. So William in Bloomington, go ahead
6: yeah hi there uh, based on from what i'm hearing from the counties and the assessor if i have a small business in my home are you saying that's going to be taxed at a higher rate than just a home being exactly the same in the exact neighborhood it seems like that would that's what that would lead to your
0: theory
3: um uh, go ahead judy no sir i don't believe that's what we're saying um if you have a small business in your home and you're using it as your home and not as a business, you know, let's say we see a lot of that. Somebody will have a computer in their home and they do stuff like that. We just still uh, assess you as a home. Now, you're going to pay personal property tax. You're probably aware of that. Uh, that's something that's a self-administrative That's a self tax that you tell me what you're worth and that's how you get assessed. Uh, so, no, you're not going to see this you don't, you don't have two taxes that you're getting, two tax rates.
1: I, I think that uh, – I think it was William. I think his point is a really valuable one, though, because the distinction that the assessors – some assessors are making is that a property is more valuable because of how it is being used uh, by an individual user. I have to say that a single-family home doesn't become worth a billion dollars because Steve Jobs is running Apple out of the garage. And similarly, a big box store doesn't become uh, all of a sudden worth four times what the market says it's worth just because it's got a name brand on the side. David, go ahead.
4: Sure. I mean, uh, again, when there's a market where there's plenty of sales, the market, uh, it's easier to value. But in these situations, you know, you have to ask yourself, why would one of these stores pay $65 a square foot to build it? and then even while it's under construction coming in and file an appeal and say ignore what we're paying what we're paying to build this store we think it's it's really only worth $25 on the market well why don't they go out and find a store that's worth $25 a square foot and that's again are you, are we do you value it based on construction costs or sales and maybe at some point you get to make some kind of transition there but only if there's um, only when the store is older and aged, maybe you can take those things into consideration. But for a brand new store or a brand new house or whatever, if somebody spends $60 a square foot, the assumption from the assessor is going to be it's worth $60 a square foot. Mm-hmm.
1: Ben? The position of the courts in Indiana for years, so this is not a recent thing. The position of the courts in Indiana is that depreciation and obsolescence are measured by the market. In fact, how you figure that out is that you take the, the cost to build this thing new and then see what it is at market value, and that difference is the depreciation and obsolescence of that property. And so really the the key question there then is if we're properly accounting for depreciation, if we're properly accounting for obsolescence, and those are market-based concepts. The Indiana Tax Court has found that repeatedly. Those are market-based concepts, then even a brand-new store can be, for tax purposes, have a depreciation factor or a functional or economic obsolescence applied to it because that's what the market says and that's just the definition. And, and that's been years of precedent in the tax court. That's nothing new.
0: Okay. So, you know, I'm, I get to ask the, the simple, simplistic questions, I guess. So, I'm, you know, I've heard, you know, all this and I, I, under, I think I understand the arguments uh, pretty well. Um, well. I go back to this, this concept or this term market value and use. Because to me, again, as a as just a, a layman, a guy who's looking, I look out at at a a coal store or a Meyer store or something that's in use as a coal store or a Meyer store, and I think that is a lot more valuable. The market value of that is a lot more valuable to me at, than a big box store that's that's been that's empty or that's been sitting empty. That's just that's just my that's what I see as a in terms of common sense.
3: That's what the assessors are saying also, and that's exactly what I'm looking at. We've got a perfect ex- example here. Rural King, you brought it up earlier. Mm-hmm. Walmart built that, was their original Walmart store. They decided to build the Super Walmart. They moved out. Do you know that Walmart never once appealed that empty building? It sat there for, what, six years? I even kept saying, why aren't you appealing? Mm-hmm. There was no reason for them to. They weren't losing great a deal of money. Uh, when they finally sold it, they sold it for two point, it's $2.5 million. I looked that sale up this morning. I have it assessed for just about, a little bit under what they purchased it for. There is no doubt in my mind that Rural King is not Walmart. They just walked into an old building, cleaned it up, you know, and they put new uh, personal property you know shelves and stuff that i could care less but the four walls are still there but i recognize that there's functional obsolescence for them it was built as a walmart it's being used as a real king but we have the value on it now do i have the new walmart at two million dollars not hardly Mm -hmm. um and that's the same with lowe's and all of these other stores um we we we're just valuing we're not valuing business interest. I'm valuing the land for what it's worth. Of everybody else is paying the same and being assessed the same on the land in these areas, and then the buildings they're fifty thousand, hundred thousand square feet, whatever. It's strictly out of a manual, and then they're getting obsolescence or they're getting depreciation. By age, and if somebody would come in and say, "Oh, but Judy, this whole back end of lowe's is falling down and it's not being able to use anymore," then tell me what that is. but I shop in Lowe's all the time. I don't see any any functional obsolescence right now, in my lowes
4: David and, and uh, there's two types of obsolescence let's mention economic obsolescence and functional functional the, the assessors assessors recognize functional right away if the if you uh, tore one of the walls down or um, somehow redesign the building, uh, that's be functional obsolescence. Economic obsolescence, which, again, the business community says, don't tax us on our business activity. But they'll say, oh my gosh, there's a national recession. We have economic obsolescence. The building is not worth as much as it was, so we didn't want to get a tax break. Or the, some of the comps are using are in communities where the econ- economy was drastically different than the current economy. Because if that Walmart in Anderson, Indiana was still making money, it, it would be open, and to compare that to the, another store in a very highly successful community, I think that's one of the big rubs in this situation is that kind of economic obsolescence being taken on a store that's not even open
1: yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so. Ben, I want to give you a chance to, to respond to that, because it seems as if the tax review board and the courts have not, um, not agreed with sort of my evaluation of market value in use.
1: Well, I'm sure they weren't picking on you in particular. I know. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, but that's essentially right. So what they've said has been, and this has been uh, for years, this situation, what we're looking at is when we say value and use, we're not talking to the particular user. We're talking to the user or similar users. So because if you look too much at an individual, you are getting into value to that user rather mm-hmm. than market value and use. So you want to look at similar. Retailers, in the case of big box stores or similar whatevers for whatever type of property you've got uh, that you're addressing. The key is, how finite do you make that? If you've got two identical stores that are right next to each other, one of which sells all sorts of goods, and one of which sells cinder blocks and pictures of Elvis Presley, um, do we, is the only good comp for that second store that is identical in every way? The real property is identical. Is the only good comp for that? other stores that only sell cinder blocks and pictures of Elvis Presley. Somewhere along the way you have to say, no, we're looking at it for a retail use. So the assessors are correct that we are – and a good appraiser will say, well, this building was converted to a bowling alley, so maybe that's not a good comp for this because it's not the same use before and after the sale. But if it's still being used by a retailer, uh, that's a good use. That's the same use before and after the sale.
4: But, the, but there are differentiations within the market. Um, I mean, appraisers, I think, would tell you this, and uh, people in the real estate business. You might have two rental properties, but one may be very high end and one may be not so, you know, maybe medium to low. And so you would assess those differently. And so there are different, what I would call, segments within the market. And um, as Ben was saying, I would say the comps for certain stores should be other national stores um, and secondary users, secondary stores um, that maybe have been changed, they have a different functionality now, you would assess those somehow differently than, than, uh, than the original owner.
1: But if it's but if it's the same retail use, even if it's not the same retail user, right. but if uh, I, I will grant you that if uh, if all of a sudden the store sells and it becomes a completely different type of property, not retail in any way, that that arguably would make that comp less valuable in to an yeah. appraiser. But an appraiser. A good appraiser will know how to adjust for right. things. And, and in your example of the two income properties right next to each other, one with a high-end tenant and one with maybe a mid to low tier tenant, if the properties are identical, the property should be assessed the same because we are not valuing the tenant in the property.
3: Oh yes, we do. If it's all the time income value, on, on, yeah, yeah it's income. value. Income. But we're
1: looking at the income to the market. The what is the market level of rent available? So some pay more than the market and some pay less than the market. But when we look at property tax purposes under the income approach, we're supposed to be looking, and the courts have found this and this is a generally accepted appraisal principle, we look at market rent, not the individual rent. Judy. You look like you want to say something.
3: I don't know where to even go with that. Uh, If I have a Section 42 or a Section 8, and I think the public knows what I'm talking about, if I have a low-income, and and we're seeing that. That happens here in Bloomington because we're very inclusive. So you can have a very um, high-valued rental property right next door or even in the same units. They're not the same because there are quality of, of construction differences. Now... I think I think' where we, we're, we're Benjamin and I are not going to agree if I have two buildings side by side I'm still in, I'm still valuing them the same. Um, what would happen if let's just say for the heck of it, I had two Lowes stores sitting right beside each other both of those Lowe's stores would be valued the very same. but if Lowe's was in one and being used as they built it, but then Lowe's sold the other one and left it right beside it in a in a um,
4: Consignment shop. A fireworks consignment
3: fireworks store went in. I would have started with the base of that low store, but then they would have come in and said, look, there is all this functional and economical economic obsolescence and we would recognize that and we would take it down. And they would give 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 data and just show me that. This these stores that the assessors are are getting under appeal are viable first-generation stores being built for these these businesses, being used by these businesses, and we see no reason to compare them to um, something that is out of business at this point. This is why it's going to take legislation, because we're not going to agree mm-hmm. on this at all.
4: I knew, originally, the Indiana Board of Tax Review agreed with the assessors on yes. this situation. It was the tax board that overruled the IBTR, and then since then, the Board of Tax Review has felt obligated, of course, to follow the standard set by the uh, tax
3: court. And I I guess real quickly, that's what really set me off was my CVS because my CVS, we both had appraisals. The other side used dark box appraisals. I used nothing but uh, open stores, apples to apples here in Monroe County. The IBTR punted and said, well, we realize you had an appraisal, but the tax court says this, so they, they denied it. Who makes up the IBTR? It's three appointed positions by the governor's office. Uh, you have two Republicans and one Democrat right now. Ted Holliday is the head of the IBTR. In that in that office, you have these administrative law judges. Um, most of them have no experience in the assessing community. I think there's one or two that came from the assessing community. Most of them are, are young lawyers strictly out of law school. They don't know anything about assessing or appraising to be very honest with you. And the tax court is made up of a tax court judge, Martha Wentworth, that was appointed by Governor Daniels three years ago. She's set for reelection, and you know how you just go and push Mm -hmm. a button, and everybody says yes. So she was retained for the next 10 years. And then the former tax court judge, the original tax court judge, Tom Fisher, is now her senior judge. And from what I understand, Tom Fisher is hearing most of the real estate cases and judge wentworth is doing more of the revenue cases who appointed fisher do you recall uh, that was ages ago it might have been under by or who was before by i'm getting lost okay. fisher was okay. the original tax court judge and i think it came in an effect in the 80s Governor orr was, it was could have been do, uh, it could have been governor orr
0: okay really quickly we have a question from From Twitter, I believe it comes from Owen County Councilman Anton Carl Neff. Uh, The question is, can a a homeowner use a vacant home's valuation as a basis for their property tax?
1: So the answer is, (laughs) in some circumstances. Mm -hmm. So the question isn't, is it vacant or is it not vacant? The question is, what is the market? So anybody that uh, tried to sell their home in 2008, 2009, knows what it feels like to be in a market where there are relatively few buyers. And, And really, that's the key. Whatever the market for a property is, however that property regularly transacts, that is how we look at the market value and use. Now, the vast majority of the time, there are a lot of active transactions uh, for residential homeowners, and so that that's, wouldn't be the situation. Although I do think that it's important to point out that if we've got three homes right next to each other, all of which were built the exact same time, they're all built to the same floor plan, all exactly the same condition, and one of them, the owner has moved out, uh, they bought a new house, and that house is on the market, so it is vacant as of the time that it sells. Uh, not, a, not all homeowners can do that, but some can. If that house sells, that is a really good indication of value for the other two houses that are identical in every way. Even even though it happened to be vacant at the time that it sold. The, vacancy does not mean that it is deteriorating, that it is falling apart. It simply means that the owner is not in it at that time while marketing it, and sometimes they sit on the market for a longer period of time as is the situation we have about a minute and a okay. half to go I'll, so.
4: real quick just the general assembly attempted i think uh, to, to address this issue i think that language is still being evaluated as far as the effectiveness so i think the general assembly recognized there was an issue um, what passed uh, you know when you have compromises it's not always clear which direction you're going but uh, i do think the general assembly is interested in, in still reviewing this i hope they are and then the other thing is um, again this methodology is being used for tax purposes only you know, what we've always wanted to ask these stores is, well, how much do you insure the building for? Um, what would the replacement cost be? Um, is that actually different? Or if the county came in and said we have to take this building for eminent domain, uh, would they say the value is still the same or would they use a different methodology to determine that value? Interesting question. Uh, you know,
0: and I want to just say at, at the end of this, so you all seem to think the legislature is going to get involved in this because if, if this stays the way it is now, there's going to be a lot less Um, revenue coming to government for local government use. So the legislature is going to have to decide or people are going to have to decide do we want fewer services because there's less tax money to spend or are we going to find out another way to raise those, those revenues? So it,
1: it, it does seem logical as just kind of a final point. It yeah. seems logical to me to give the new statute time to work. Uh, th- the statute was amended this year. It's been in place for, I think, less than six months. And, and what it is is that the assessors, although it was a, a compromise, the assessors got language that does restrict the type of evidence that some taxpayers can use. And the Board of Tax Review applied that statute as written. So it seems like the statute is doing exactly what it was intended to do, Maybe we should give it time to work before we decide that it needs to be rewritten immediately.
0: Okay. Well, we're going to, we're out of time. Sorry, Judy. We're out of time.
3: We <laughs> <laughs> can have rebuttal on
0: that one. I want to thank Judy Sharp, uh, the Monroe County Assessor, Benjamin Blair, an associate for Fagree Baker Daniels, and David Botorf, Executive Director of the Association of Indiana Counties, and also producer Drew Dodlin, engineer Mike Pashkash, and Mary Catherine Carmichael. I'm Bob Zalzberg. Thanks for listening.